This is a message by Pastor Mark Fox of Antioch Community Church in Elon, North Carolina. For other sermons from Antioch, you can visit the church website at antiochchurchnc.org. Now, let's turn our hearts to the Word of God. Mark will be bringing the Word to us today from Genesis 24. It's quite a long chapter, so I'm going to read uh, two sections of verses, uh, 1 through 28 and 58 through 67. Now Abraham was old, well advanced in years, and the Lord had blessed Abram in all things. And Abraham said to his servant, the oldest of his household, who had charge of all that he had, Put your hand under my thigh, that I may make you swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and the God of earth, that you will not take a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites among whom I dwell, but you will go to my country and to my kindred and take a wife for my son Isaac. And the servant said to him, Perhaps the woman may not be willing to follow me to this land. Must I then take your son back to the land from which you came? And Abraham said to him, See to it that you do not take my son back there. The Lord, the God of heaven, who took me from my father's house and from the land of my kindred, and who spoke to me and swore to me, To your offspring I will give this land, he will send his angel before you, and you shall take a wife for my son from there. But if the woman is not willing to follow you, then you will be free from this oath of mine. Only you must not take my son back there. So the servant put his hand under the thigh of Abraham, his master, and swore to him concerning this matter. Then the servant took ten of his master's camels and departed, taking all sorts of choice gifts from his master. And he arose and went to Mesopotamia, to the city of Nahor. And he made the camels kneel down outside the city by the well of water at the time of evening, the time when women go out to draw water. And he said, O Lord, God of my master Abraham, please grant me success today and show steadfast love to my master Abraham. Behold, I am standing by the spring of water, and the daughters of the men of the city are coming out to draw water. Let the young woman, to whom I shall say, please let down your jar that I may drink, and who shall say, drink and I will water your camels, let her be the one whom you have appointed for your servant Isaac." By this I shall know that you have shown steadfast love to my master. Before he had finished speaking, behold, Rebekah, who was born to Bethuel, the son of Milcah, the wife of Nahor, Abraham's brother, came out with her water jar on her shoulder. The young woman was very attractive in appearance, a maiden whom no man had known, and she went down to the spring and filled her jar and came up. Then the servant ran to her and said, Please give me a little water to drink from your jar. And she said, Drink, my lord. And he quickly, and she quickly let down her jar upon her hand and gave him a drink. When she had finished giving him a drink, she said, I will draw water for your camels also until they have finished drinking. So she quickly emptied her jar into the trough and ran again to the well to draw water. And she drew for all his camels. The man gazed at her in silence to learn whether the Lord had prospered in his journey or not. When the camels had finished drinking, the man took a gold ring weighing a half shekel 
and two bracelets for her arms, weighing ten gold shekels, and said, Please tell me whose daughter you are. Is there room in the father's house for us to spend the night? And she said to him, I am the daughter of Bethuel, the son of Milcah, whom she bore to Nahor. And she added, We have plenty of both straw and fodder, and room to spend the night. The man bowed his head and worshipped the Lord and said, Blessed be the Lord, the God of my master Abraham, who has not forsaken his steadfast love and his faithfulness towards my master. As for me, the Lord has led me in the way to the house of my master's kinsman. Then the young woman ran and told her mother's household about these things. And over to verse 58. And they called Rebekah and said to her, Will you go with this man? She said, I will go. So they sent away Rebekah, their sister, and her nurse, and Abraham's servant and his men. And they blessed Rebekah and said to her, Our sister, may you become thousands of ten thousands, and may your offspring possess the gate of those who hate him. Then Rebekah and her young women arose and rode on the camels and followed the man. Thus the servant took Rebekah and went his way. Now Isaac had returned from Berlahairah and was dwelling in the Negev. And Isaac went out to meditate in the field toward the evening, and he lifted up his eyes and saw, and behold, there were camels coming. And Rebekah lifted up her eyes, and when she saw Isaac, she dismounted from the camel and said to the servant, Who is that man walking in the field to meet us? And the servant said, It is my master. So she took her veil and covered herself. And the servant told Isaac all the things that he had done. Then Isaac brought her into the tent of Sarah, his mother, and took Rebekah, and she became his wife, and he loved her. So Isaac was comforted after his mother's death. Amen. Thank you, John. Well read. John did a great job, didn't he? One of, the, one of the songs we sang today said, The Spirit comes in and opens, opens your word to us. And that, uh, so that's my prayer this morning. Now, your, your job this past week was to read the whole chapter, right? I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, but that's why I asked John just to skip to the last part. But we'll talk about the middle part as well. So this story, like Abraham's trip up the mountain last week when, when uh, he took Isaac to sacrifice him, this story also could stand alone as a literary masterpiece. It's been called a novella, a short novel. It's been called a story, example story by some. It's been called a guidance narrative by Klaus Westermann. He said, it's a narrative whose purpose is to attest the hand of God in the life of a small community and thus in personal life. This is, this is the story of how God providentially continued the promise given to Abraham by guiding a faithful servant in finding a bride for Isaac. I mean, it has similarities, really, in, in this, to the story of Ruth. We're not going to talk about that in this sermon. But if you looked at Ruth and you looked at this story, you could see the similarities in the providence of God. God does not speak in this chapter, but God is not silent either. What you see here is, Alan Ross says, God deliberately behind the scenes, yet directing the acts. So it's a wonderful story. It's the story of the faith of a servant. We'll talk a lot about the servant. 
And it's a story also of faith of Rebecca and Isaac and, and that predominates in this story. So let's look at this story under three main points. A father's commission, a servant's faithfulness, and God's provision. First, a father's commission. Harmon Killebrew, some of you will know that name if you follow baseball. He was a star in the major league in the 60s and 70s. Played for who? Anybody know? Who said that? The Minnesota Twins. There you go, Jimmy. That's right. He said, my father used to play with my brother and me in the yard. Mom would come out and say, you're tearing up the grass. Dad would reply, we're not raising grass. We're raising boys. Billy Graham said once, a good father is one of the most unsung, unpraised, unnoticed, and yet one of the most valuable assets in our society. And all of God's people said, all right, exactly. So Abraham is old now, and he has one very important responsibility as a father to his son Isaac that he needs to accomplish. He he knows his days are short. He wants to help his son find the right wife, right? We're, we're called to the same thing as parents. We're called to do that so that we can ensure the divine blessing that we enjoy is passed on to the next generation, to our children and to our children's spouses. In the Abraham's case, he knew that that was necessary for the promise to continue. Isaac had to have a wife. And, and so that would be part of his responsibility. He had to find the wife who would literally become the next matriarch of the people of God. Now we hear two very important things from Abraham as he commissions his servant to go out and and do this very important task. Uh, First, he made his servant promise that the wife he found for Isaac would be living where? In Mesopotamia. Not where? Not in Canaan. No. The people of Canaan worshipped other gods, and Abraham wanted a wife for his son that was equally yoked with El Elyon, God Most High. Isn't that an important requirement for our children as well? That we help our children find a spouse who loves Jesus more than they do, at least as much as they do, right? So he said, find a wife in Mesopotamia. Second, he made his servant promise that he would not take Isaac back to Mesopotamia. I love it. The servant says, what if the woman won't come with me? Uh, Am I going to have to take Isaac there to find him? He said, no, no, you will not take Isaac. Did you see that? He said it twice. You will not take Isaac back there. Why? Because, Because this is the land that God has given to the people of God. This land was the land of promise. Abraham had heard, heard God say, to your offspring I will give this land. Not Mesopotamia. We're not going back to Ur of the Chaldeans. No, this is the land I'm going to give you. And so he did not want Isaac to leave Canaan. And you know, we're going to, we're going to follow the testimony of Isaac after this. He never once left Canaan. Not one time will he leave the land of promise. So then the servant, this is kind of weird, right? The servant put his hand under under the master's thigh to take the oath as Abraham had told him to do. And it was a picture of submission, right? I'm putting my hand in a place where I can't move my hand and I'm promising you that I'm going to do exactly what you're telling me to do. Who else had to do that years later? Anybody know? Joseph. Somebody said Joseph. Joseph is told by, by his father Jacob, put your hand under my thigh and promise me what? You will not bury me here in Egypt. You will take my bones back to the promised land. So this is a solemn oath that Abraham is asking 
his servant to do. So that leads us to the servant's faithfulness. Now most believe that the servant who is unnamed in this chapter, for some reason, Moses doesn't name him, but most people believe he is Eliezer. Remember Eliezer in chapter 15? When Abraham is told by God he's going to be the father of a great nation and and, 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 God, and, and, and Abraham says, you know, well, everything I own is going to go to Eliezer. I mean, he's my trusted servant, and I don't have any sons, and so he's going to have everything. God says, no, no, he's not. I'm going to give you a son. So Eliezer is his most faithful servant, loyal servant, a man of faith himself. And he's been replaced by Isaac as the heir. He's not going to receive everything Abraham has. Isaac will. But he loves Abraham, he's faithful to him, and he's tasked to go find a wife for this, for this son from the family of Abraham. Now, a major theme in this story is steadfast love, covenantal loyalty, both human and divine. The word in Hebrew is hesed. And you're going to see it at least four times in this story. You can read it later and track the instances where this word is used because it will be translated in English as steadfast love uh, or loyalty. Well, we're going to see Eliezer acting in steadfast love for his master and carrying out his responsibilities for, to find a wife. But we also see God referenced as having said toward Abraham. He has steadfast love towards Abraham in keeping his promise and helping this journey to be successful. The mission will not fail because he's going to lead God in the background, is going to lead Eliezer to the exact place, to the exact woman, to find the wife for Isaac. I love Eliezer's faithfulness to Abraham and his faith in God. Now listen, Eliezer has been commissioned to travel more than 500 miles with 10 camels and supplies and choice gifts to find a woman he does not know, has no idea who she is and what she will look like, to find a woman he does not know, convince her that she should leave her family and travel 500 miles with him, a stranger, where she will meet a man she has never met before and become that man's wife. Does Eliezer have faith? Oh, yes, he does. Notice that when he gets to the place, right, he, he stops and prays when he reaches the city of Nahor. And this is outside the city. We're told that this is the well of Nahor, and this is the, the evening, and when women would come out to get water for their families. And so he's at this well, and he, he looks up to God, and he prays. And he asks for guidance, not a miracle. In fact, this is the first time, first mention, FM, first mention of a servant of God asking God, not for a miracle, but for guidance. Lord, would you guide me? I need your help. How many times do we pray that? Right? We ask God for guidance. And Eliezer is simply asking God to guide his steps, just as a father and a mother are pr- were praying for our children, that, they, that God would guide their steps in choosing the right spouse. Know how to shepherd our children to in this most important... I mean, really, following Christ is not a decision. I didn't decide to follow Jesus. He apprehended me in my sin and gave me grace to believe. So when I say I chose Jesus, I really didn't. He chose me. 
But so the most important decision that we ever make, if we're going to be married, is whom we will marry. I don't think there's anything, anything that comes even close to that. So the, this is what we need wisdom from God to do. And look, what is Ebenezer, what is El, Ebenezer, what is Eliezer asks for, ask for? He doesn't ask God to show him something arbitrary or something spectacular in the woman who, whom will be Isaac's wife. I believe he asks to recognize the woman who, is God, who God has chosen for Isaac by her generosity and her willingness to work. I believe those are the two things that, I, that, that Eliezer says, Hey God... Help me to recognize this woman by her kindness, as one commentator said, and by her industriousness, and I just said generosity, and her willingness to work. Now, she was attractive. That was an optional extra. It doesn't have to be. He didn't ask for that. She was a virgin. That was not an optional extra. That had to be there, but he didn't ask for that. That was a, that was a given. He said, God, let me see this woman as someone who's kind, and hardworking. And then he says, By this I will know that you have shown hesed to my master. How do we know Rebecca was generous and kind? When Eli- Eliezer asked for a drink, she said, Oh, my Lord, you may have a drink. And in fact, your camels may have a drink. She's generous, she's kind. How do we know she's wor- hardworking? He had 10 camels. And look, I read that after a long journey, a camel, check this out, can drink 25 gallons of water. That means she had to draw, do the math, guys. Who can do the math? How many gallons? 250 gallons of water. Now we read that she she draws some water and gives it to him, and then she runs to get the next now, most of the women, you see these pictures of these women in the Middle East carrying this jar on their shoulder. It's about this high and about this broad. It's on, their sh- on her shoulder, and it carried three gallons of water. And if she had a three-gallon jar of water, she had to draw from the well 80 times or more. 80 to 100 times. It would have taken her two hours at minimum to do this. Was she hardworking? Oh, yeah. Was she generous? Oh, yes. Was she humble? Yes. I think she had everything that he was looking for. I love verse 21. It says, the man gazed at her in silence to learn whether the Lord had prospered his journey or not. What do you think? The Lord did. So Eliezer broke out some gifts. He gave her jewelry. He gave her a nose ring. Let's don't do that, guys. Don't give your, your future spouse a nose ring. He asked her about her father. Actually, nose rings are back in, in vogue, right? They're just a lot smaller than they were back then. That's good. He asked about her father, whether she would be able to give him lodging for the night. And when he heard that she was the daughter of Bethuel, who was the great nephew of Abraham, He worshiped God because Abraham said, go to my country and find a woman from my family. And God led him to do exactly that. He worshiped again, again thanking God for showing hesed, steadfast love and faithfulness to his master. He knew 
that this was the woman. But was his work done? No, no, no. He, he had some work ahead of him, didn't he? Because now he had to convince not only this woman to come with him, but her family. And guys, remember, when you marry somebody, you're not just marrying that sweet little thing or that big, broad-shouldered guy. You're marrying into their family. Yes. And most of the time, that's very wonderful. So he had to go back and convince not just Rebecca, but also really the mother in Laban. It seems at this point that Bethuel is probably infirm, it only mentions him speaking once, and, and so mo- the decision-making in the household seems to be the brother Laban and um, Rebecca's mother. So the evening and the next morning is another example of faithfulness, and of his determination to complete what the master had given him to do. I like this quote from Ross, believers must give priority to completing God's work. A lot of people like to start something, but they never seem to finish it. And Eliezer says, no, 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 I came this far and I'm going to do what God has called me to do through my master's command. So he did that by coming into Laban's house at his bidding and and he was offered to wash up and have a meal. But he said, look, before we eat, I must tell you about, about my journey. So this is the part we didn't read. What did he tell Laban and Rebecca's parents. Well, he emphasized the blessing of the Lord upon Abraham. He said, the Lord has greatly blessed my master, Abraham. And he's a very wealthy man. And not only that, but everything that he owns will be given to his son, Isaac. And, and he promised, he made me promise that I would not take a wife for his son from Canaan, but I would come here to this place and find his family, his kindred, his relatives... And from this place, I would find a wife. And I prayed that God would, would reveal that woman to me by her generosity and by her hard work. And I had no sooner finished praying, but Rebecca walks up to take water, and I asked her, and she said, yes, she is truly the one that God has sent me to bring back for Isaac. And you know what? He says, if you're going to show hesed, faithfulness, and love to my master, tell me. And they agreed. They say, this is from the Lord. Take Rebecca and go. Well, it seemed like that would be the end of the story, right? You wake up the next morning, you get on the old camels, and you kick it 500 miles. No, that, that leads to God's provision. Look, what happened the next morning is a good reminder that God's provision is certain but it's not always easy. The brother and mother, and I suspect this is mostly Laban, if you know anything about Laban and how he treats Jacob down the road, we'll get there. Vic's probably going to preach on that. He likes that story. We know how he treats Jacob, so he and his, and, and his mother tell Eleazar, you know what, let, let Rebecca stay Ten, I mean, what's ten more days? Let's just, you know, we'll just have feast every day. and We'll just, you know, enjoy one another. We'll get to know each other better. Let's just let her stay ten more days. Now, at this point, Eliezer has a choice. He can acquiesce and he can agree to the ten days, knowing that ten days may stretch into thirty and may stretch into a time when they say, you know what, we're not going to let Rebecca go with you. His other choice is to push. And sometimes, guys, we have to push. 
Sometimes if we know what God has told us to do and we've seen clearly what he's doing in our midst, we have to say, no, no, this is what we need to do. And he says to them, no, do not delay me since the Lord is prospering in my way. Send me away that I may go to my master. You know, I'm speculating here. This is not, this is not in, the, in, the, in the text, but I wonder if there's just a small hint of a threat there. Right? Like Eliezer saying, don't make me go back to Abraham 500 miles and tell him that I found the woman that is supposed to be Isaac's wife, but his brother and his mother wouldn't let him go. Don't make me do that. I don't know if that's happening. But when he says that, they respond with, okay, let's see what Rebecca wants to do. Now, this is one of my favorite parts of the story. You know why? I love this because God, I think, sovereignly worked it out and so that it would precisely happen at this moment that they would say, let's find out if Rebecca wants to go with you. Because look, guys, this was an arranged marriage and the two will marry in a few days, but neither is forced into it. And especially not the woman. Rebecca had a choice. Everybody said... That's correct. She was given a choice to follow Eliezer back to Canaan to a new family or stay where she was with a family that she knew. And I believe that we see Rebecca's faith here because she'd heard the story. She'd heard what Abraham had told Eliezer. She had told, heard what Eliezer said to God. She had heard how everything, all of these events had been orchestrated and she believed at that moment she was supposed to be the wife of this man that she'd never seen before. She saw it was God's hand, and so she says to her brother and to her mother, I will go. I like what J.I. Packer says. He said, don't doubt, oops, I meant to say that earlier. Eliezer believed that. Don't doubt in the darkness what you've heard in the light. He had heard in the light that this was the woman. He had seen God's hand upon the circumstances. He had seen her industriousness, her kindness, the very things he had asked God to show him. And so he wasn't going to doubt in the darkness when they said, no, hang around 10 days. He was not going to do that. Packer said, believers are never in the grip of blind forces. Fortune, chance, luck, fate. Guys, those things, those things are not part of a Christian worldview. All that happens to us is divinely planned, and each event comes as a new summons to trust, obey, and rejoice. I love when I hear my students at Elon say, you know, everything happens for a reason. And if I press them on, I say, well, what is that reason? Well, they'll say, you know, it's just fate. It's just the universe. The universe is making a choice here. But if we have a biblical worldview, we say, no, no, God is is sovereign in all matters. Over every square inch of the universe, uh, Jesus cries, mine, as the guy said whose name slips my memory right now. So they send Rebecca and her nurse back with Eliezer. It's interesting, this nurse, that some believe this was the woman who actually nursed Rebecca. You know, back in those days, sometimes you would bring in a wet nurse when your baby was born if you couldn't produce milk or whatever. And so this was the woman who had nursed Rebecca when she was a baby. She's older now, of course, and she's going to go back and she's going to take care of Rebecca uh, and watch over her in this new land. And then they speak an amazing blessing over Rebecca. You probably have rec- would have recognized these, the similarity between Rebecca's blessing and Abraham's blessing. 
God said to Abraham, I will indeed bless you and make your offspring as numerous as the stars of the sky and the sand on the seashore. Your offspring will possess the gates of their enemies. Our sister, may you become thousands upon thousands, they say to Rebekah. May your offspring possess the gate of his enemies. Well, when Rebekah arrived in Canaan, there's a beautiful scene where we see Isaac. He's walking out in the fields, and it's, it's evening, and he's meditating. And it doesn't say what he's meditating on, but we believe he believed in God, Jehovah God, and so he was meditating on the things of the Lord. And, and he lifted up his eyes, right? And he sees camels coming. He recognized those as his father's camels. And there's Eliezer, you know, riding on one of those things. And so he lifts up his eyes, and at the same time, Rebecca lifts up her eyes. Uses the same phrase there. She lifted up her eyes, and she saw Isaac. And she asks Eliezer, who is that man? Who is that man? You know, I thought about it the first time I saw Cindy. What was going on in my heart was, who is that? Turns out she didn't have that same thought. <laughs> it wasn't reciprocated for many, many months, but finally it was. So here it is. When, when, um, when Eliezer told her all that had happened, told her the whole story, she put a veil over her face. Why? Because that was the custom for a woman who was betrothed and was about to be married. She put the veil over her face so that Isaac couldn't see all of her face. And then she walked over and greeted him. And then it says, she became his wife and he loved her. He took, he took Rebecca into Sarah's tent. Isn't that interesting? How long has Sarah been dead? Three years at least. But they still have her tent. And he takes his new bride, into Sarah's tent. Why? Because she was going to be the matriarch, the new matriarch. And I love this phrase, she became his wife and he loved her. It's another first mention. This is the first time that marital love is mentioned in the Bible. Now, there's obviously instances of, of men loving their wives and wives loving their, their husbands. Abraham loved uh, Sarah and Sarah loved Abraham, but it's never mentioned Marital love, this is the first time she became his wife and he loved her. Now we modern folks, we like to say, yeah, uh, she loved him and, and he loved her. So they said, let's get married. And they did. And that's, that's good, that's fine. But we all understand, those of us who have been married for a while, know, understand that marital love is supposed to grow and become deeper and sweeter and even greater than we could ever have imagined as young people when we fell in love, right? And so they, they uh, grew in that love uh, from that day forward. What can we take from this passage? First, Proverbs 3, 6 could summarize the heart of the servant of Abraham and we who are servants of God. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. Eliezer did that. Abraham did that. Uh, Rebecca did that. And finally, Isaac did that. All your ways acknowledge him. Isaac understood. This is God's provision for me. And so did Rebecca. And God will make straight your paths. We can trust him completely. Of course, the first part of that, verse 5, is what? Lean not on your own understanding. Second, God's provision is certain, but it is not easy. Right? God provides for his people. And God will provide 
what we need and what we're supposed to have. But sometimes it's not easy. Eliezer had to force the issue with Laban and his mother in order for God's provision to be broken loose from their grip. Third, we must make a priority of completing God's work, and that includes helping our children to marry, as 1 Corinthians 7 says, to marry in the Lord. To marry in the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we're thankful for this love story. We're thankful for Isaac and Rebecca. We're thankful that you ordained marriage from the very beginning. You said a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. And Lord, we see that happening here. And two that just meet the first time they meet, and they're married from that point forward. And you will use these two, as we will see in the weeks and months ahead, you will use these two in in, uh, powerful ways to, to advance your kingdom, to bless your people. And Lord, help us to be a blessing. Help us to to, uh, be a blessing to our children by helping them to marry well and guiding them. Help our children to look to us for guidance and to want to hear uh, the Lord's voice through their father and their mother. And help us to be faithful in that. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message by Pastor Mark Fox of Antioch Community Church in Elon, North Carolina. Antioch meets every Sunday for worship at 10 o'clock a.m. at 1600 Powerline Road in Elon. You can download other messages by Pastor Fox at antiochchurch.cc. You can also learn how to order his books or subscribe to his blog at jmarkfox.com.